Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. I am your host, Jay Gannon, and our guest for today is Jake Schaefer from Smart Motors in Madison, Wisconsin. I always look forward to talking with Jake because I feel like I learn something new about our industry each time we chat, and I fully expect this to be the first of many podcasts we do with Jake. Jake is the Service and Parts Director at Smart Motors and is a veteran of the Marine Corps, and I think that's a, that's a pretty cool thing to, to mention. You'll find that he's passionate about fixed ops and incredibly knowledgeable as well. For today's podcast, we're going to talk about his background and dive into how they are positioning themselves for success in drawing technicians to their jobs. We'll also talk about how our new platform, Wrenchway, is going to help them in a highly competitive technician market. Don't worry about that part, though, because we're, it's not meant to be a sales-focused uh, conversation around why you should be on Wrenchway. We just really want to kind of uh, pick Jake's brain on, on how he's going to use it and, uh, and what what he thinks of it so far. So welcome to the program, Jake. How are you? Good, good, good. Busy day today. That's good. That's a great thing. It's uh, It keeps you out of trouble, right? It does. It absolutely does. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's start off with your background. What what brought you into the automotive business? How did you get into this crazy world to start with? Uh, I started, you know, before the, you mentioned the military background, I started before the military uh, in small engines, um, lawnmowers, snowblowers, things like that. Um, went into the military in the transportation field, uh, Oshkosh trucks, which is not very far from us. Um, a lot of Caterpillar C6 engines, Humvees, things like that. Left the, uh, left the military, uh, came home, uh, went through independence, uh, started out as a technician, uh, worked through the independent shops, a couple of Napa auto care centers, and then ended up uh, landing a job with Ford Motor Company and one of their franchise dealers. It was at that point I found out I had some uh, lingering military breaks, if you will. I actually had a broken elbow I didn't know about. So I uh, had to make the decision if I continue to be a technician or if I uh, start talking to some customers. And I uh, started talking to some customers. I was with Ford Motor Company for about four or five years. Uh, made the switch over to GM for a couple of years. Ran uh, a medium-sized dealership there on the fixed stop side. And then about two years ago, uh, Smart Motors called me, said, hey, we got an opportunity, and decided to come learn all about Toyota. So that's how we got to this point today. Well, first, so first reaction on your description is, one, I'm definitely not tough enough to be a Marine because if, uh, if I had a broken elbow, I think I'd probably be in a coma <laughs> and knocked out. So uh, that's, uh, you're definitely tougher than I am. And then two, it's cool because you've got a little bit of a diverse background in terms of the dealership side, right? You've got some experience with different manufacturers and and just being that you're kind of in our backyard here in Wisconsin, and I don't get to do a podcast with people that are in our backyard very often, but I know the reputation of Smart Motors and, and what you guys do there. What was your draw to Smart Motors to start with? Because it's obviously, you guys have a gorgeous building uh, right in a great prime location, uh, what what was your draw to go to that Toyota side? Um, so we, we've owned Toyotas, um, regardless who I worked for. I love the Toyota vehicle. Um, the product was a big thing for me. Um, you know, being able to stand behind a product was very important to me. I enjoyed what Toyota had to offer. Very good, you know, very good customer group too. I mean, very understanding. Toyota does a good job of presenting what they uh, need from their customers to maintain their vehicles. You know, that's set as a standard 
from the manufacturer. It isn't one of those things where, hey, you know, dealer franchise, let them know they should probably do this. I mean, this is a standard. I, I haven't met a Toyota customer yet that doesn't know their maintenance manual, sometimes better than I do, right? <laughs> um, so it just an all around a good company. Um, Smart Motors itself, you know, it, its size was very attractive. There's never a dull moment. There's always a lot going on. We have a lot of people in and out all day. Uh, staying consistently busy was important to me. Um, the other thing was, you know, scale of change. You make an adjustment here or there, you know, and, and you can see it goes so far. But in a facility like this, you know, we can make an adjustment to, you know, adding an advanced maintenance team. And I can see differences there or, you know, bringing detail in-house. And I can see what that can do for the company. It's a lot of uh, scale of change here with the size we have for sure. That's pretty cool to be able to, to make make a change and then see kind of an instant impact, you know, like it's, yeah. it's direct, right? Yeah. Uh, and I don't think you get that everywhere. So I think that's pretty cool. So tell me a little bit about what you do at Smart Motors. What, what is it that, uh, that you do? So within Smart Motors, we've got uh, what I oversee every day. We've got our main service facility. That's our repair facility. Those are going to be uh, your everyday repairs, diagnoses, recalls, things like that. Um, below that, we have what we call an advanced maintenance uh, department. So that was something 2019 we put together. Um, it was extremely important to me because the volume we have, it was impossible to adjust capacity for ASRs coming out of express lane into our repair facility because repair was booked every day with 130, 140 appointments. Express had 125 to 150 people every day. There was no room to fix things they found, right? So we took a step back. We set up this advanced maintenance team. It is for probably C-Tech qualities mostly we look for, uh, flat rate compensation setup, and they have zero schedule every day. Every day, their schedule consists of ASRs from the express lane. They were our number one department last year as far as gross and volume. Um, it really worked out for us. Of course, below them, then we have the express lane, which is kind of the starting point to a lot of what we do. Um, so in this building, we've got three different uh, service departments. We have our main parts area, which I have to oversee with the assistance of the assistant parts managers. It's more of our shipping receiving. That's kind of the hub where everything comes and goes from. Uh, down the street, we have a reconditioning department. That is a, oh, how many we got now? 15 bay facility wow. um, with technicians in there. All day, day in, day out, they are reconditioning used cars to get put on our used car lot. Across the street, uh, we have our prep and detail building. So that is another 12-stall building. Uh, in there, we work closely with the sales team in there. So that's where we do a lot of our new car accessories. Um, we do a lot of our uh, get readies for deliveries. Uh, and our used car reconditioning goes through there as well. So. Um, I'm kind of spread all over the place, but, um, you know, it all kind of comes down to service and parts and, and detail and everything that goes into that. So that's, uh, that's cool. And, and prior to hopping on this podcast, you and I were talking about uh, the, the kind of the relationship between sales and service. And, and uh, I was uh, sat in on uh, Dave Foy's fixed ops mastermind class last night, and uh, it was a big concern in, in a big discussion topic. How do you guys do it so well? Because I, I think uh, just from an outsider's perspective, looking at what you guys do, it does seem like there's synergy between the service and parts or service and sales side that maybe I don't see at every dealership, right? So uh, how, how do you foster that relationship and, and really how, how does that work? Yeah, it, it was funny because I think it was my first week here. The first thing I wanted to see was uh, 
use a new sales policy and service policy. Because uh, that was a small indicator to tell me how much we're dumping on each other in terms of concerns and issues and things like that. Um, luckily for me, there was nothing to you know be, be weary of or anything like that. We work very closely together. So I have a counterpart on the sales side, general sales manager. We talk more than anyone else in the dealership. I know that he's my best customer You know, every day. I think I told you before this, we got about 150 cars going through recon right now. Um, no one can promise me 150 cars tomorrow like he can. So it's an understanding like that. Um, you know, we understand that we are going to grow as a fixed operation department financially and over time, you know, size-wise to be, be able to, you know, work on more vehicles. And in return, I am going to get cars to the lot for them as fast as possible in the best shape. Um, and along the way, I'm going to manage everybody that's in that process on my side of things to work towards that common goal. So um, we understand, you know, it's, it's nothing new. I never came up with it. I know they sell the first one. I sell all of them after that, right? Yep. We really understand that though. We understand that, you know, the more people that they can put out with cars, the more opportunities I have to come back and take good care of those customers and keep, keep coming them back. That's great. And what role does ownership play in that, right? Like, so what, I'm guessing that culture has been kind of ingrained in, into what you do at Smart Motors, right? So it, one of the common themes that we heard last night was it really starts at the top and driving that, that relationship between sales and service. Have you seen that since coming to Smart where like maybe that, that's a, a top-down culture or is it just ingrained in, in everything and it just, it just happens to be that way? You know, one of the things we take pretty seriously is culturally – we don't see any benefit in keeping people out of the loop on things, right? What I mean by that is I meet with my fixed operations manager every Tuesday and every Tuesday we talk about uh, what's going on, pluses, minuses. We talk about relationships across the board with sales. Uh, we talk about literally anything that comes up, right? Um, we do it every Tuesday on the second Tuesday of every month. We do a financial meeting with all the managers and we don't, keep anything from them, right? I mean, we show them how, you know, policy adjustments and, you know, we don't have any coupons over $100. How is this coupon 120? You know, show how this reflects on your gross. What is your, your loaner utilization by day? Do you see the value in getting those cars back sooner so you can continue to turn labor and parts revenue while using that car? I mean, we don't keep anything from them, right? That it always hasn't been that way um, it has been probably the last two years that we've really pushed that, right? And what we're finding is there's more buy-in, right? Yeah. So in the essence of the relationship with us in sales, if I go to my reconditioning service manager and I tell him, here's the deal, we've got $4 million in used car inventory. There is a million dollars that no one knows in the world that we have because it's not through recon. That is That holds more weight with them than telling them, hey, why is this car on day six and it's not through, right? Yes. To them, they start itemizing things. Well, I had to wait on PDR or SPR. I had to get a recall done. Um, I had to find someone to take it here. When you give them the whole picture, it starts to make more sense. And what we're finding is they will take those steps in those processes to make that end conversation easier to have. So we don't really ever have to have any conflict or issues or anything like that. I love that approach. I, I love, love, love that approach because- it, it is, uh, it, we used the analogy last, last night, or I, I actually think I brought this up, but 
you don't want the culture to be that when a salesperson is walking up to a tech or walking up to a service manager that, uh, oh my, why is this guy coming up here again? Because what he, he needs something, right? Like, and, and you're, you're trying to get past that. And even it was interesting on that call because we had a salesperson that was a, a really, really well thought of salesperson that's done well in the industry, uh, really high performer. And even in the back of his mind, he's like, yeah, I don't want it to be every time I'm going back there that I'm asking for something because that's not, you know, that that's not going to help anybody out. So I, I think you nailed that with the, the transparency up front, being able to share with them what their role is in it, where you stand at. And even the analogy of we've got a million dollars in cars that nobody's seen because they're sitting in recon. That's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, we do it, like I said, we do it monthly. Um, we talk about it all the time. Uh, on a daily basis, every day before 7.30, I put a PACE report out in front of anyone, uh, in front of everyone, I'm sorry. So we've got goals we want to hit, right? We want to. We want all of our efforts to be net profitable by the end of the year. So every day we run a PACE on grosses by service parts body shop, and then we break it down to that, you know, that advanced maintenance team, that express team. And the reason for that is I will never understand, and I'm open to be argued with about this, but I'll never understand how people get to the end of the month. They're like, oh my God, we missed our mark. Yeah. Like, how do you not know that? You know, and, and that's something we instill with our managers all the time, right? And, and as important as to show them where they're going to end up, we talk about why they're not going to end up where they want to, right? So right now with people not driving, body shop gross is down, Right it's not deer season here in Wisconsin. There's no slippery roads and people just aren't driving. Right. Yeah. So in the attachment with the parts department, parts has a, a measurable amount of gross that they can rely on the body shop for. Well, right now they're almost to the dollar short of their goal on pace of where the body shop would be contributing if it was normal times. So just as important as it is, like I said, knowing where you're going to be, understanding why you're not going to be there. And that can show itself, whether it be you know, expenses, um, if you've got unapplied labor, if you've got excessive policy, you know, just a, a variety of things can make that as it is. But yeah, not only on, like I said, the weekly or monthly basis, but every day we talk about, you know, the pace and where we are and our goals every day to get where we need to be. And again, it, it really, you see it happen throughout the day, right? I mean, you see it happen where if, if you have like a parts manager that looks at a parts, you know, counter sales and they see that, let's say the grosses aren't as good as they should be on the front counter as they are on the back counter, right? There's a lot of reasons for that. We won't get into those, but you can identify that and you can say, Hey, what, what's going on here? You know, it's, it's the same product. It's just on a different counter. Why are we so much better at selling it on our O's than we are on the front end? Right. And you can pick those up when we stay on top of that as a team. That's good stuff, man. I, uh, we could have a whole podcast just on that right <laughs> there. I think that's uh, that's the tough part, uh, especially, you get a scatterbrained person like me, I'd just go off in a whole different direction. But one thing that I wanted to talk about today, and we said it kind of at the intro, was technician focused, right? And really kind of driving that transparency with technicians. And I think I approached you, I don't know, it's probably been six months ago, uh, talking about how we're coming out with this new system and we're or this new platform. And, and so I also said at the intro that I don't want it to come off overly salesy. So I, I really kind of want to talk about what we're doing with Wrenchway. You were an early adopter of Wrenchway and, and getting your shop onto the platform. Give me your initial thoughts on the platform itself. And, and, and when I say that, the thoughts on, do you think it's going to be able to 
bring technician traffic into you or draw technician eyes to your job. And, um, and honestly, just a, a general conversation about it because it, it is, for me, it's fascinating to get feedback from the dealer community on, on the effectiveness of it. And, and maybe just kind of, I want to dive into how you plan on using that platform. Yeah. So traditional recruiting and, and for anyone that hasn't heard me say it, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm trouble for HR, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a relationship person. I like to create relationships, you know, develop them and, and they last a long time. Um, traditional recruiting uh, in my eyes in the realm of technicians is too slow. I don't see technicians anymore writing a, uh, you know, writing a letter and filling out an application and waiting two weeks for someone to get a hold of them. I just don't see it as a reality. And the reality isn't because they don't want to do it, but it's because they don't have to do it. Yeah. Technicians have a skill set that is highly sought after. It's not going away and it's got more complex as the years have gone on. Yeah. So the simple statement I had with my HR department was, how do I answer all of these questions? Because I've heard them a thousand times from technicians. What are your hours? What's my shift? Uh, how's your parts process? How much do you pay? And do you have work, right? Like those yeah. are the big ones that come up often, right? And I told my HR department, if I could just get in front of technicians and show them, you know, the, the 70,000 cars we service a year, show them the a uh, huge parts department and, you know, parts assistance as far as, you know, keeping technicians in bay and efficiencies and show them the, you know, the service advisor process and the technology we use and show them, you know, that our volume and our pay structure, you know, permits them to, to make a good living doing what they do. If I could show them all that just in one snapshot, I could get a lot more people here, you know, instead of waiting, you know, the traditional processes I mentioned where, we have to go through the interview process and we have to do, you know, that awkward, you know, tell me about yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to go through all that. So if I can answer those questions. So when you brought up Wrenchway to me and I looked at the platform where we had technicians, we had compensation ranges, we had uh, what are the benefits, you know, what's the work environment like, you know, do you have this, that, I mean, the fact that I can put that all of our shops are air conditioned is, is an immediate attention grabber for technicians, yeah. right? Yeah. And then when we start talking about volume and they can do the math, they're very smart. You know, they can equate what their hours that they, they can turn in a week coupled with what we have for opportunity and a fair market value on what we're going to pay them. They can do the math. They're going to figure it out. They'll be very, very well off here at Smart Motors. So when I saw that, it was very exciting to me. Um, and I know you and I have talked about, you know, snagging a URL and I'm going to put it on business cards and put it on anywhere else that I advertise just to get those questions in front of them. Oftentimes you'll get an application. I have a pile of them over here where you'll call them up. They'll be like, yeah, so what do you guys pay in these days? Right? Here it is, you know, and it's completely transparent. Some of the things we have internally. So something that's very specific to us, Toyota started us with a little bit of a career path. And I know you and I talked about the other day. Um, what we did with that is we added smart motor side of things, right? So if you're going to be in my advanced maintenance side of things, I want you to be A4, A5 certified because I can tell my customer that you know what you're doing, but I want someone else to validate that to give, you know, to, to really sell ourselves to the customers. So that isn't a specific thing from Toyota. That's what we prefer to happen. But with, you know, your, your process with Wrenchway, I can put that out there. And there are a few and far between people that will give a technician because it's complex. There's always a lot to do to give a technician a career path and show them what it means starting at an entry level position and how you get to a 
uh, you know, diagnostic master tech on the top end and how you progress, right? There isn't a lot of people that have that. With your system, I can do that. Someone can see where they would fit in in our, in our uh, uh, career path. They can see exactly what I expect of them, what Toyota expects of them. And then essentially it's, it's on them to do it, you know? So I was very excited about it. I, I would like the transparency. I like that it checks a lot of boxes. Um, you know, as, as I looked at it from a technician's perspective, and I've done it a few times at all hours of the night, I look at it from a technician's perspective and I, I take a peek at it and I say, okay, so the only questions I have are, what are my shifts? Um, what are your hours of operations? And are there any holidays you missed, right? I mean, that was, those were the extent of the questions I had because everything else I needed was there. I know that Smart Motors has special order tools. I know they offer tools to technicians. I know their parts process. You know, I, I know pretty much everything. So that was very important to me to get that transparency out there and not necessarily to like, you know, cut the conversation down because I love talking to people. Obviously, here we are. But it was to get past those questions so we can start building that relationship and see how we're going to fit together. Get to the meat of it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I, maybe to expand upon that and, and maybe even move past Wrenchway a little bit, but kind of tie it in, is with Wrenchway, even if you have a nice, a nice page, right, you still, have a, you still have to have a good place to come work and you still, it still has to be truthful uh, on what you're putting out there. One of the cool parts about what you do to draw technicians that I really like is, is that tool program that you do and, mm -hmm. and really offering some tools and, and helping some of those entry level people get in. Mm -hmm. what, what gave you that idea uh, to, to really start a tool program and, and really, you know, looking at it from a technician standpoint, I look at it and I say, man, that's, that's pretty awesome that you do that, right? Like it, it's, uh, it's not all on me to, to, uh, to do this. And, and uh, I think that's a big, uh, a big issue with trying to get people in the industry right now. So I, maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it, it's definitely a barrier to entry. Um, you know, we've got a very good technical program nearby here. We got uh, Madison College, Community College, uh, really good instructors. They do a good job. It's very hands-on. Going in there as a student, I know you're going to spend money on tuition, right? Um, there's opportunities for scholarships and things like that, but I know you're going to go into it spending money. To me, it's a very defeating concept to finish school, pay for school, and then have to invest twenty to $30,000 to now do my job, right? It, it can be a challenge. You know, some people can, some people can't do it, but there are a lot of people in our industry that get to that roadblock and they say, well, is there anything else I can do? You know, um, I have a handful of people in my career that finished school. They were great technicians, you know, really had a lot in front of them. They said, I don't want to spend money on tools. So now they're some of my best advisors, right? One of them actually runs my prep department down there. So those are conscious decisions that they make. To keep them on that career path, we offer them, we actually partner with Sonic Tools. We offer an S9 fully stocked box. Um, you come through, you know, when you want uh, to take a job here in our express lane, which is a typical entry point, but if we have someone that has education um, or went to school, uh, we can start them in the advanced team and work them up from there. But anyways, that, that barrier to entry for us is making that transition into that, you know, second part of our career path, which is going to be going to be that advanced maintenance. We also offer it to like recontext and things like that. But, you know, it's a sizable investment by, on our part, but the return is the best return you're going to find anywhere in this dealership. You know, we give them that option where instead of spending that money, we're going to give you this allocation of tools. 
you don't owe us anything. You're not renting it. You know, just please don't sell them on us. But, you know, we, we give this to them and let them know, you know, this is something to get you started so you can start producing, you know, and, and helping smart motors, but also making a life for yourself, right? If there's something better you want, if you want to save for better tools, you're certainly, you know, able to do that. It's definitely an option, but it makes it easier to get technicians. I actually just ran out of Sonic toolboxes. We've gone through six of them at this point. And last two weeks, I hired two technicians on. Um, they jump into our program. The program is after four years, you own the tools. You know, you don't owe us anything. You don't rent it from us. After four years, they're yours. You can keep adding to the collection. You can take it home. But at that point, you know, in my mind is where we have completed that agreement where you have been able to produce for yourself and help Smart Motors and their customers. And now this is yours. So um, we actually just had to order more. I just got shipping notification today. We have three more on the way, which is good. What it's done, and, and our assistant general manager made this joke yesterday, and, and my immediate rebuttal was, I hate that you know me so well, but <laughs> he made the comment to me. So right now we, we were talking about recon a little bit earlier. I don't know if we were on or off air, but um, I have a lot of cars in recon, right? And I can do the math and I can tell you that I am one person short, right? He looked at me yesterday and said, well, you'll have someone hired by the end of the day, right? <laughs> We got someone hired by the end of the day. The toolbox was a huge help to that though, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're taking a person and recon is a perfect, perfect position, right? You know, a lot of times we're, we're replacing brakes, turning rotors, doing tires, um, you know, minor steering suspension, fixing some leaks and things like that. I say that because I'm not needing a master tech, right? I'm needing a very efficient C tech or advanced maintenance person, someone that these tools would fit well with. There isn't really anything you're going to need that's not in there. Um, and it was very easy. It was like four hours. You know, I gave him a call, said, hey, we've got some opportunity. We've got all these hours that we need to turn. What do you say? And he says, well, my only concern is right now uh, the shop I'm at has tools and they're not mine. and I can't take them. I said, well, that's fine because I have a box here. If you want to come over and talk, you know, we can discuss it and we can go from there. So it does really help. You know, what it's done for us is we talk about this in culturally, like in the automotive world where, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to hire techs and, you know, with, with knocking on wood at this point with this program, we haven't had an issue. That's a big thing. There are even technicians that decide they want to come work here. They want to take advantage, advantage of the tool program because they don't want to bring their box here. They want to leave their box home. That's what it's there for. You know, I know that that $3,000 investment in two years is going to gross 350,000 and you're going to be able to pay your bills, take care of your family. It's just a, it's a great relationship and it's yeah. really helped us out. I think it's incredibly smart. Like I, I think even down to, you know, calculating kind of what your ROI is on that. And when you're looking at it over that span, you know, how long is it going to take for them to, to pay off that box or, you know, really try to, I don't know, it takes a friction point out of there. It takes a, you know, a barrier out where, if you get that C-Tech in and they're in the recon shop and they're working and they're getting familiar with, with cars and your processes, and then you can kind of work on that career path at the same time, you're, you're getting them in the door, you're working them up the ladder and the, the great ones are going to stand out. And it just, a, I think it's a really good process. Do you, do you ever see a time or what do you, maybe a better way of asking that question is, do you see an evolution to where, where a dealership might not they might provide tools for everybody all tools i do and, and i know there's always the one-offs right like at this point i'm still apprehensive to put impacts in these s9 toolboxes is that everybody has a flavor right 
Yep. I, you know, that being one of the biggest barriers, um, I do foresee where, you know, and, and it, it kind of seems crazy, right? Especially considering net margins that dealerships operate off of. It sounds crazy, but if you look at it as an investment and, you know, it, looking at it, like, like you said, a, uh, it eliminates that barrier to entry, right? I mean, the tools are there. Honestly, I've looked at it as, as a very large organizational piece on a larger scale. So I know that, and this, this is just where my mind goes, right? But yeah. <laughs> um, if I know that it makes sense to have my diag techs here, my B techs here, my C techs here and stuff like that. And let's say we come to a world where I need to provide boxes. Those boxes are all gonna be different. They're all gonna be put where they need to be put. Everything's gonna be organized and, and everything's gonna kind of just flow. I foresee that being being a thing where eventually dealerships are going to provide tools and it's a large expense, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's an investment for, for something more. Yeah. I think it's going to be something that we will, we will see. I do too. I, I think it's inevitable. I mean, when you think about it, how hard, how hard a technician is to find right now. Um, and, you know, a big piece of wrenchway and the whole reason we kind of built that was, trying to make the industry better, right? We want to drive the best of the best up yeah. rather than, you know, have everybody fighting for, for techs and, and we want techs to stay in this business. And if, if they're going and they're paying a $500 per month snap on bill or whatever it is, and it's hurting their family from eating and they can right. go do something somewhere else. And maybe they go to the government side or they do something where that the tools are there it hurts our industry because we lose people. You know, you and I have had extensive conversations about trying to get people into the business, uh, young people from high schools, colleges, even middle school. There's an issue with people leaving the industry altogether that have a ton of knowledge and they might go drive truck or they might go do something where they don't have to have that, that upfront cost can make a similar living in terms of money. And, and, uh, maybe don't beat their body up as much. So I think that that career path side is so important. And I applaud you and I applaud Toyota and what you guys are doing there for kind of painting that picture of what you can do moving forward, right? Because I think at least when I was a tech, I don't know if you were the same way, but I just expected to go in a shop and just work there for the rest of my life. Right. Yes. I, I, didn't, I didn't really yep. think this is where I'd be at. And so when, when you look at that and every day is kind of the same day in, day out, mm -hmm. and Granted, if you're a tech, it's not going to be because you're working on something different every day. But the general, you go to this time clock, you do this, and you, you, it's monotonous a little bit. Mm -hmm. If you can kind of paint that picture of hope, I think that's huge, especially for the younger generations. Yeah, well, and, and tools and career path, I mean, those are, those are important small pieces. I mean, painting the picture of hope, to use your words, that is one thing, but there's a lot more to doing what you say you're going to do, right? And, and talking more about the cultural piece not long ago, it was six hour days. It was, you know, and I don't want to beat up on our industry, right? But I think we've changed yeah. it a bit. Maybe sometime thankless, you know, you got a technician that's getting hollered at by a warranty admin and a parts person and a service advisor. And on the other end, you have a service advisor that not only is supposed to greet, cash out, take phone calls, schedule, all these things that we just call a service advisor, right? We've evolved quite a bit, right? And, and even even from um, the way we present things to technicians, right? Talking about the cultural side of things. So at, at Smart Motors, you don't work six days, right? You're not scheduled more than 40 hours. 
you are welcome to do what you want outside of your normal time, whether you, there are technicians that come to me all the time and say, hey, Jake, we've got 30 hours of carryover tomorrow. Can I come in and get some done? I'm scheduled off. I'll never tell you no, right? I'd be the worst service manager in the world if I said no. But the culture we create is not only do we tell you it's important, but we show you it's important, right? I mean, whether it's going around to, and I, I say that my recon manager has been a very busy man lately. I go to him at Friday at three o'clock and go home. You know, we will figure it out. The doors will stay open until six o'clock, like go home, right? We, we do these things and, and we, we set that standard for people, you know, not only in what we say and how we schedule, but also, you know, if at Smart Motors, if, if you own a Toyota, you never pay for an oil change your whole life. It's not just on your birthday, your anniversary. I mean, anytime you need service, you come in, we take care of it. We give you extremely good discounts on buying cars, on servicing cars. We recognize, you know, certain holidays. And it sounds crazy against a traditional thing, right? Like traditionally, you got to be there Christmas Eve for emergencies. You got to be there for this, that, the other thing. We get that, right? And we understand that. But it's it's about taking care of the people and not only telling them you're going to do that, but showing them you're going to do that. That contributes a lot to the longevity. I mean, I don't know if you and I have talked about, you know, the time of employment here, but I got, I have technicians that have only worked here. I've got, you know, average age of 10 year, 10, 15 years. I mean, that's pretty unheard of at this point. It is. Yeah, for sure. I think the average uh, job stay for a millennial is four years. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's probably a little bit uh, on the high side, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Even, you know, to, to my satisfaction, some of my you know, now some of them are becoming master technicians, but a lot of the techs in the main shop started at the entry level, you know, and they worked through the process and they understood smart motors. And a lot of them in a lot of senses have been a big part on how we've made adjustments and changed smart motors, you know, as the years have gone on. Which I don't know if there's much that's cooler than seeing a tech come in as an entry level, like a lube tech or a C tech, and then getting them to that master level and seeing the progression that goes along with it. I mean, the, the work and the smarts that go behind doing that are it's it's one of the coolest things I've seen in my career is as you as you develop those younger people and get them to the point to where they're very confident they're very good diagnostically uh, it's it's honestly one of the more rewarding things I think our business can offer uh, you know an executive level or a, a leadership type position yeah you know and, and the tough side of that and this is kind of where the the conversation goes sour sometimes is on, you know, like some of the questions we talked about the techs ask on the compensation side of things, right? That is, you know, there are statistics out there in data where they talk about, you know, management and um, uh, environment and pay, and they all kind of top at the top three and things like that. As, as well as we like to treat our employees with schedules and benefits and things like that, we do hold standards on things, right? So the career path is a start to that. If you want to go from making $12 to $30, this is what you have to do, right? I mean, this is just where we have to go. Unfortunately, for a lot of fixed ops departments, what we're finding nowadays is people will defect to get an offer to bring it back home, you know? And we, and again, some, some people may call me crazy for this, but, you know, the questions I have for one, I don't want you to ask me why you're worth more after this conversation than you were this morning when you clocked in. I will never put myself in that position, right? The second side of that is, as clearly as we have things laid out, there's a reason why we haven't made that step yet. If, if financial gain is one of those for a technician, there's a reason we haven't, right? 
let's look at things outside of, you know, just certification. How's your attendance? How is your ability to work as a team, uh, you know, positively contributing to what we do here? Those are some of the things that I think a lot of people are plagued with right now is the defection for a raise in compensation, right? Culture, like we talked about, has a ton to do with that, um, where people will, you know, stay the course and work through it and stuff like that. But one of the things that I see time and time again, and, and we fight to not be part of it, is that defecting technician um, gaining compensation because of just the mere thought they're going to defect, right? Yeah. If we take a step back, and if, if, a, if a business takes a step back and sees what they have to offer a technician, right? Offer the fact that we know you, you know, you know everything about us. We have processes, we have this. Do you have enough work? Do the parts show up when they're supposed to? Like, do we offer all that to the technicians? If the answer is yes, then there's another way to have this conversation with the technician outside of saying, you know what, I'll match their offer, get back in your bay and go back to work, you know? And I know it's something that has been very relevant over the past five years or so. And it's something that we're no different. You know, we'll, we'll deal with that from time to time. Uh, we actually have, and this is a weird statistic that we track. We actually have a 75% return rate on employees seeking employment after they've defected from smart motors in a mechanic. Wow. Which is, is crazy to me, but you know, if, and that means that means that they, they leave, go to a different shop and then come back. Right. They want to come back. They want to come back. So they don't always come back. When we talk about the standards, right, as much as we want to take care of our employees and things like that, we will ask questions like, you know, we have not changed our capacity. We've not changed this. This. Why is it different now you want to come back? You know, and, and it's, not to, it's not to cause confrontation or anything. It's why, you know, it was very easy for you to make this decision. It's not very easy for us to remake this decision. You know, where are we in the relationship side of things? Again, and... and we set that standard. We know that. And I'm sure a lot of fixed ops people out there can understand what happens to their culture when they have a tech that, you know, tells the guy who's left and right, like, oh, I'm leaving. And all of a sudden next week he shows back up. What happened? Oh, they gave me two more bucks an hour. Well, I'm going to talk. You know what I mean? It, it just, and it can easily spiral out of control. And, and again, it's not to be confrontational, but it's to keep a standard and make sure that, you know, we are on the same playing field as our, as our technicians and the rest of our support staff and service advisors and things like that. So when a tech comes back to you and says, Jake, you know what? I'm sorry. I made the wrong call. I, I, I left here. I shouldn't have. What's the right approach for them to come back to you with? Like, so is it just, is it simple, as simple as saying, hey, the grass wasn't as green on the other side? Or what, if, if somebody comes back and say they were in pretty good standing prior to that, what's a good way for them to come back to you? And we do have technicians that listen to this. So I, I think it's, yeah. it's, a, it's an interesting thing to kind of put ourselves on the other side of that. But yeah what, what, what maybe throws you off? What brings, like, what brings you into it? Like what, what, what's the right thing to say at that point? Just be honest. Right. I mean, if for some reason, the one thing I don't like is I don't like having the opportunity to talk to a technician before they leave to figure out what's wrong. You know, mm -hmm. it could be a very easy fix. Like, Hey, I don't like that parts deliveries here at five 30 and it's not stocked until seven 30. I can fix that. I'm the guy I need to talk to to fix that, right? But if you just say, I'm leaving, and then you come back, tell me then too. Say, hey, here's the deal. I had a big problem with parts. I know I didn't tell you. I apologize. It's so much worse. Over. You know what I mean? Like, just be honest. You know, just tell me what it is. We can't fix anything. I mean, no one's a mind reader, right? And, and that's, that is a huge thing with me is when people leave, and I don't know why, right? Because I can't fix it. I can't make it better for anyone else. I can't, if you're a returning technician and want, you know, to be gainfully employed again, 
I can't do anything else coming back in the door if you don't tell me. This is an interesting twist to this conversation. It is. Because I think it's, it's fascinating because I think what happens, and, and this, this is just my opinion, but if you get a technician that, say, is introverted, right? And a lot of what we do, you know, as technicians, I think, are very mechanically minded or very, you know, focused but sometimes have a, have trouble expressing their feelings. And it, it creates that, you know, I, I've said this on other podcasts before where, you know, I've, I've talked with a tech and the tech says, yeah, everything's great, everything's great. And then like two weeks later, they're out and they're gone. And you knew that something wasn't right, but they, they couldn't talk. How do, we, how do we make a tech comfortable enough to, and, and if they're introverted or even if they're extroverted and they're just not comfortable talking in, a, in an awkward setting, mm-hmm. how, how, do we, how do we bridge that gap? Because I think this is a problem in a lot of places where, you know, the only time a tech will say something is when they're boiling and they come in and this is so stupid. And, and yep. I don't know, I, maybe you don't see that, but I, I definitely saw it a lot where- oh, yeah. Uh, you know, a, a tech didn't say anything until they were at their breaking point. And at that point, it's, you know, they might say something that they regret. I mean, it, it, it's, and it, it's a, it's an emotional time. So how can we take something that's such an emotionally awkward situation and kind of break it down to, hey, Jake, I'm, you know what, I made a mistake. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have left. You know, this is why. How, how do you do that? Like, how, from a tech standpoint. Yeah, you know, in, in, in many situations, I won't say all of them, but in many situations, even introverted, you know, people, whoever it is, technician, ASM, support staff, it goes back to our culture conversation. I, I feel pretty strongly about that, where if you're my technician, Jay, and the only time you see me is when you forgot to put a radiator cap on, which is a very sore subject right now, um, or you <laughs> forgot to, you know, do this. If that's the only time you see me, you're never going to come talk to me. I, I know that, right? And as a management staff or a company or a business operator, if you create a culture around openness and talking and things like that, I'm not saying 100% of the time introverts are going to come talk to you, but it really helps your chances. You know, if you're easy to talk to and you're willing to talk about whatever's on their mind, you know, they won't have anything regret telling you. I mean, there are technicians that will come in and they'll punch you in the mouth of what they have to say. You know, it may be about a process. It may be about uh, a product. It may be about another employee or one of their coworkers, right? They'll, they'll say what's on their mind, but for introverts, if they know that you'll listen to them. And I think that ties back into uh, doing what you say you're going to do. You know, if someone comes and tells you something, they're all going to tell you so many times without you doing anything. They're just not going to tell you anything. Right. So I think you you kind of breed that culture if you do nothing or if you kind of isolate yourself. You know, like I live on the first floor of Smart Motors, love living on the first floor because my ASMs are 20 feet away. My shop is 40 feet away and anyone can come to my office and talk to me at almost any time of the day. That to me, it creates a better relationship and makes myself more open where if there's a concern, they'll come talk to you. You know, there have been introverted technicians that I can walk through the shop and, you know, say good morning, say hello, and they just keep doing their thing, right? But then yeah. I'll be sitting in my office and I'll be doing reporting or I'll be, you know, going through like a repair analysis or an audit and they'll come in and sit down and close my door. And, and I'm almost in shock, right? Like, oh my God. Yeah. And they'll make a comment to me like, hey, I need to get my ASC certifications. I don't know where to start, Right there's a lot of people they could ask, right? But since we've developed that relationship, we have that open communication, they come and chat with me and it, it makes it easier, right? I'll never guarantee that someone will always say something to you. There will be those people that 
are, are so disgruntled, they're so put out that they don't want to say anything. And that's, that is what it is at that point. But at least make sure that if someone leaves you, you can check the boxes, right? Was I able to talk to? Did I do what I say I was going to do? You know, did I fairly compensate them? Did I give them work? Did they have parts? Did they have clean uniforms? Like, did I do all these things right? Because then I can ask the questions, you know, like, why? What happened, right? So it, it makes it a little bit easier, but I think it goes back to cultural side of things, making sure that it's an inviting environment to have that conversation. So it, it's funny that you say that because I, one of the most difficult pieces that I had and in, in, in when I was managing a, a lot of technicians was I was this young punk coming in and if there was a tech that had been there for 30 years, they're looking at me and they're saying, what the hell is this guy going to say? Like what, you know, this is just a new guy on the block. Like he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. And it takes, like, I, I knew full well going into it that that, that relationship was vital to the success of the dealership. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes for anybody, but when you, when you see that, and especially you're a young manager, you're, you're, you're uh, young and in a fairly prominent position there. Don't, I never want to say anything points to age because I, I say that like within our group here at Finder Wrench all the time, I don't care how old you are. I, I don't care if you can do the job and you're great at it. Mm -hmm. Like we've got room for you. Like it, it just does not matter. So I don't know if you've had a similar experience to that, but for me, that was one of the more awkward management moments of my life was going out and talking, you know, having maybe a disciplinary talk with a, somebody that's been there for longer than I've been alive mm -hmm. uh, and, and saying, listen, this, this wasn't the right way to approach this. Or, you know, like somebody was just asking for help and you chewed them out. Like mm -hmm. what, do you, have you ran into that? And, and is that something where you consciously look to build a relationship? Yeah. I mean, especially on the technical, so tech, technicians are the best example I have. You are going to manage someone, whether you believe it or not, who knows more about something than you do. Right. Yes. And, and once you understand that it allows you to kind of open yourself up to meet on similar grounds. Right. So, uh, you know, with senior technicians and, and technicians that have been doing this a long time, I mean, their knowledge is going to exceed mine in a lot of things, right? I mean, as, as, as sonar cruise control comes out on Toyota products and as they're replacing side mirrors with camera, like I'm never going to keep up with that from what I do, right? They're going to know more. However, the other approach to that is what can I do to help you understand that, right? I mean, do you need better equipment? Do you need training? Do you need, you know, do we need software licenses? Do you need more attention from, you know, Toyota engineering? What do you need that I can help you be? So finding a way to be part of it, I don't want to say it compensates for not knowing because you'll never, you'll never know what you don't know, right? Um, but it at least develops that relationship so you can work with someone that will know more than you and still be able to con connect on the same wavelength, right? Like, hey, I, you know, what I'll often find is like, yeah, I'll take care of it, Jake, don't worry about it. And I'll be like, well, no, but I want to learn. Like, I don't have the time to teach you. Okay, that's fine. As long as you got all your tools and everything you need, just let me know, you know? That seems to be the biggest way to get past something like that is accepting that fact, you know, and seeing it time and time again. There are different skills, right? Like customer service handling, um, data, you know, I've in my career, I, I've gone very far in understanding data. I love data. Um, I can bore someone to death with data. Um, the reason I like it so much is because it's just, it's just information and it's answers, right? And it is not up to interpretation or opinions or stuff like that. It just is what it is. 
so when we have those those conversations with you know whether it be an ASM or a support staff, right? I mean, there are times where you can have an ASM. I have a few here that have been doing it for a very long time, and what I've been most surprised about is when you have a conversation. Uh, the most recent one was walkarounds. You know, to get them to understand how important a walkaround. It's been ingrained in me, and I believe in it. And I'm actually in the process of dedicating a whole porter staff just to walk arounds, not to make more money. I mean, that'll be a byproduct, right? But what it'll do is it will create the faith and the, the cohesion with the customer from the start of our engagement for that repair. You will start with knowing everything that we can see with your car. You will also know what we find when we get it in the shop and we will report on its condition when we redeliver it to you, right? So explaining to, to an ASM, you know, maybe a new process or a new procedure what I find sometimes is, is you have that relationship, the reception of it goes so much better. You know, they're okay with listening to reason and trying to understand a different way to do it. You know, we've made, in Smart Motors, we've made a lot of changes in two years. Um, I thought we were gonna go through change exhaustion, the way we were moving things around and shifting things, yeah. but everybody rose to the occasion. That You know, they opened themselves up, they're willing and able to do it. I, again, and I can't say this enough, I think a lot of it hinges on the relationship with, with who you have. And that will help bridge the gap with those, you know, maybe tenured employees on, on kind of guiding them and managing them in a certain direction. Well, we're rolling up on our hour, Jake. I, uh, it, it went fast. I knew it would. Uh, I, I think you know how highly I think of, of what you do up there and, and how good of an operation you run. Uh, so it definitely won't be the last time I have you on. I can tell you that. Uh, but I, I truly appreciate uh, having you on this and, and really just being able to pick your brain on everything from uh, our product to general industry stuff. I, I think it's invaluable the amount of information and, and uh, kind of just uh, uh, generally good conversations we have. So I, I appreciate it and uh, hope to have you on again here sometime soon.